Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you here this morning. Uh, Pastor Shane is preaching at a sister church in Airway Heights this morning, so he's not able to be here. Uh, next week, he will be up in Aeneas Valley. Uh, he's going to be there for their dedication of the building, which he was involved in instituting that whole process. And he said, I, I can't not be there. Uh, so you might pray for him this week so that he'll be well and able to get there, because I know that's a big celebration and something he wants to be involved in. Uh, when Don showed up this morning wearing a tie, I was kind of hoping that he was going to preach. Uh, and then I found out that he wears the tie so that when he dribbles coffee, it'll land on the tie and not on his shirt. So that's, you know, if you need to do that, you might need one of those really big ties uh, if, if you have that problem. But uh, uh, now this morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Mark. And we're looking at uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus. And we'll see the plus part here in a bit. But uh, Mark chapter 6, if you'll turn there in your Bibles, we'll be looking at uh, verse 30 for, through verse 44. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Uh, this is actually a really very important story, event. It was so important that each of the gospel writers includes it in their writing, more so than many of the other events of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, 
obviously Luke and John all have their particular vantage point that they write from. And we'll refer to some of those here as we go along. But in this particular case, we take note that the apostles have returned from the excursion, the, the ministry trip that Jesus sent them on, which we saw a few weeks ago. And you can take a look at that earlier in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, where Jesus gives them authority, sends them out, tells them, don't take any extra stuff, go to these places, do these things. So on their return, they want to relate all of this to Jesus, but there's so much going on, it's not really working out so well. And so these pairs, there were two by two, so six pairs of the apostles are ready to share, and Jesus says, well, you also need to rest. And so he says, we need to go away, because there were so many people, which we see in verse 31, coming and going, that they really couldn't even take time to eat. Someone always needed something. Someone needed their attention. Someone was in the way. And then in verse 33, there was this crowd. The ESV translates it many, but it actually is a different word. And it's a larger group of people see them leave and say, oh, well, where are they going? Let's follow. And Jesus says, no, you need to come away. You need physical rest. You need spiritual rest. And we're familiar with Jesus' approach to rest. Matthew chapter 11, verses that we're all pretty well familiar with from 28 and on, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so praise the Lord that he recognizes those needs, and we all need those things at different times and in different ways, and he's willing to provide that. In this case, for the apostles, that was what they sought out to do. So they get in the boat, they begin their journey across the Sea of Galilee, and these people, in the meantime, are keeping track of their boat and going along on the shoreline. Fortunately, just the experience of, of being in the boat out on the water would set them somewhat at ease. They would be away from the press of the crowd. They would be just together with one another. And uh, if you ever have the opportunity to go to the Sea of Galilee, I encourage you to do so because it's a remarkable place. And I've been able to be on a boat there and have just a handful of people and have no sound of motor or any other things and just experience what it potentially would have been like for Jesus and his disciples to drift along there as they're going to their destination. Of course, they get to the destination hoping for more retreat time alone, and lo and behold, here's not just many and not just a crowd, 
uh, Mark actually employs both of those words and literally says, it's a many crowd. It's a huge crowd. And uh, we'll address that here in a little bit. But here's this mass of people that that wasn't really what they were expecting. Although I'm certain that even though Scripture doesn't tell us this, Jesus knew what to expect. And so what's Jesus' response? He sees them. He has compassion on them. He could have easily said, you know, not today, folks. Uh, you'll have to make an appointment for later in the week. We got another agenda or whatever. But no, he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, of the four gospel accounts, Mark is the only one that states that assessment. They were like sheep without a shepherd. That phrase first shows up in Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 17, and it's actually related to a prophecy by one of God's prophets. And he states that he envisions all Israel as sheep without a shepherd wandering the hills. This phrase also shows up in Matthew's writing, but he actually employs it before the apostles are sent out on their ministerial mission. And Jesus relates to them, apparently in this process, that he sees the crowds as sheep without a shepherd, and he sees in this process that the fields are already white, ready for harvest. And that's why he sends them out on their mission. But in order to have a better understanding of sheep without a shepherd, I thought, well, rather than read commentators who probably weren't shepherds or speculate based on things that I've been told about sheep, I paid a visit to some shepherds that actually go here. And I asked them, I said, tell me about sheep and sheep without a shepherd. So here's some things they related to me, which hopefully is helpful to us. Sheep want to be together. They don't like being scattered. Sheep will trust the shepherd when there is a shepherd. The shepherd cares for the sheep. The shepherd treats their injuries. The shepherd takes them to the good feeding and the good watering places. Now, some of you are probably already thinking, oh, that sounds like Psalm 23. Well, Psalm 23 is accurate, of course, because David, having been a shepherd, could relate those things very well. Sheep, I was told, respond to the familiar and they run in fear from the unknown. And sheep will follow a lead sheep when there is no shepherd. So if there's no shepherd, no direct leader, and some sheep decides I'm going to wander here or there or whatever, the rest of them will be like, oh, where's he going? What's he doing? I better go check it out. Well. Jesus saw this massive crowd of people similarly. 
where's Jesus and his disciples going? We better go find out. And all of a sudden, people are moving and going, and other people joined in, and pretty soon you have this huge group. So what does Jesus do? He began to teach them. Now, I, we don't know this because we're not told, but Ezekiel 34 relates a prophecy from the prophet Ezekiel that potentially Jesus, if not directly using to teach them, at least would have alluded to in this encounter. Ezekiel 34, we're told, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, in this context, shepherds would be not the literal shepherds of the, the actual sheep, but the leaders of the people. And the prophecy that the Lord gives to Ezekiel is this. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the, his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture that they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost 
and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so Jesus, taking on that role, takes this great crowd of people and begins to teach them and begins to minister to them. Well, we're not told exactly what's happening with the disciples during this time. We assume they're there listening, paying attention, gathering in what's going on. But eventually they start uh, looking at their watches going, um, it's, it's getting late. And, and one of the uh, gospel writers mentions that they're hungry. And they're thinking, if we're hungry, all these people are hungry. So, you know, send them away so they can go get something to eat. Well, this could be that they were being compassionate, thinking of those people saying, gee, if we don't send them away soon, they're going to be too hungry to get anywhere to get any food. It could be callous. It could be selfish. It could be, we're hungry, get rid of them so we can eat. It could just be pragmatic. You know, it's getting late. Once it's dark, nobody's really going to go very far, very easily. So let's get this over with. Well, Jesus, of course, surprises them, as is typical of Jesus. And he says, you meaning you all, it's plural in Greek, you guys feed them. And they're kind of going, right, that's going to happen. Well, John mentions that, that Jesus kind of prompted all of this. Uh, in John chapter 6, we're told that he addressed uh, Philip, and Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Well, of course, they're in a desolate place. We're not absolutely certain exactly where they were, but all four writers make it clear they're not close to the grocery store to start with. But Jesus posted this question to Philip because he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Well, we don't use the denarius for our currency, so it's kind of lost on us in some senses. But a denarius was a worker, a common laborer's wage for a day. So we're talking 200 days worth of pay. That's 40 weeks in a five-day week. I don't know how much any of you make. I know how much I might make in 40 weeks. And I wouldn't really be likely to go spend it on bread for somebody else. But the focus here was, of course, on what they didn't have. We don't have a grocery store nearby. And it's a good chance in their collection of funds, they didn't have 200 denarii. But Jesus doesn't look at that that way. He says, what do you have? 
how many loaves do you have? Well, we tend to think of loaves as our standard loaf of bread with 20 some slices in it, whatever it might be. And that they had five loaves. Well, that was something. And we tend to think of fish like, you know, most of the guys that fish want to talk about fish. It was this big. Well, these were actually more like biscuits. There were just normal like muffin size, biscuit size morsels of bread. And the fish were not even a decent sized trout. They were more likely the size of a smelt or a, maybe a sardine. They were not big. Because as you may, may recall, John tells us in his account that this food came from a little boy. It was his lunch. Now, why he didn't eat his lunch, we're not told, but he had this food and he was willing to offer it. So we're not talking a gourmet meal here. We're talking a little bit of food for this crowd. Well, as we've already read, and as you've probably been thinking about, it mentions 5,000 men. Well, Matthew makes sure to add, besides women and children, so we don't just assume it was only men, and we don't just assume it was only 5,000. 5,000 men, most of them were probably married. So then there's, you know, close to that many wives, and probably several of them, if not a majority of them, had families. So there were at least one kid, maybe two, maybe many. Jesus' family, there were several other kids besides him. So we're talking upwards of 15,000 people, maybe much more than that. We don't know. We just know that five little biscuits and two little fish don't look like very much when you add a crowd of hungry people. But Jesus wasn't deterred by that, and nor should we. Our inclination is to look at what we don't have and not look at what we do have. But John, in his epistle, the first John chapter 3, he reminds us, by this we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And that's what Jesus was seeking to convey here, not only to the great crowd, but to his, his disciples, to the apostles, to say there's more to this than what we have or don't have, because you have me. And that's what Jesus was seeking to convey. I am the good shepherd. I am the provider. I am the one who can meet this need. But you guys are looking at the wrong things, and you're not looking at me. So Jesus proceeds to feed the people. But he does it in a particular fashion. 
First, he organizes them. He says, let's all sit down, get yourselves in groups of 50 and 100. Well, 50 times 100 would be 5,000. So there might have been 50 rows of 100 people or 100 rows of 50 people. Uh, some suggest that maybe the men sat separately, which would have been easy to count that there were 5,000 men and that the children and the wives were in a different group. We don't know for sure. Scripture doesn't tell us. It does make it clear there was a bunch of people, but in order to feed a bunch of people, you got to have some kind of order. So they put the people in order. Jesus takes the food. Jesus prays and blesses the food. Jesus starts to break the food up, which in the Greek, it's just a single act of breaking, which was what we would do in dividing up our food. But then the Greek makes it clear that he kept on giving it to his disciples, who were the ones that took it and gave it to the people. It was an ongoing process. It wasn't just a, oh, here's the pieces. It was a process. And apparently, as he kept breaking and giving, there was more to break and more to give. Jesus produced and the disciples distributed. And sometimes we get that messed up ourselves. We think we have to be the ones that produce. We have to be the ones that make the whatever happen. And we better get it together so that we can make it happen in somebody's life or in some circumstance or in our own issues and the struggles that we have. And Jesus is willing to produce what we need. We have to be willing to distribute what he produces, either to our own selves first and to others, but to be willing to give. And he's willing to produce what's needed to be given. So they disperse this food, and verse 42 is a remarkable statement. And they all ate and were satisfied. So huge crowd of people, all ate, all were satisfied. Now it's interesting, in considering these, this food they ate, these little morsels of bread were made from barley. I don't know if you've ever eaten barley. It's not something we eat very regularly. Um, it's supposed to be good for you. Uh, and that's probably why most people don't eat it. Um, but in that economy, it was the cheapest bread. It was what the poor people had. And again, the fish were not really super substantial, but they were fish. It's a good chance that they were dried or smoked. And so they wouldn't have been like, you know, a nice, fresh, juicy fish right off the grill. They probably were, had been stored for some time in order to preserve them. Might have been pretty salty. Um, but we're told they all ate and were satisfied. Now, in thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, how might this story be told today? I only eat white bread. Oh, I have to have gluten-free. 
Is this organic? Fish? I don't like fish. Did they wash their hands before they touched that food? Now, apparently, there weren't any Pharisees there because that shows up later in Mark that Jesus and his disciples get attacked for how or how they didn't wash their hands. And then leftovers, I don't eat leftovers. You got to throw those away. Well, how about spiritually when we look at being fed? Where is the church that gives me what I want? Where is the life group that behaves the way I want it to behave? Where is the stories in Scripture that are the most entertaining? Where's the white bread? Well, John, in his account of this story, carries it on over into the next day and all, uh, into a much more uh, spiritual vein than just the physical needs. Obviously, Jesus was able and willing to meet the physical needs, but he's also more able and more willing to meet spiritual needs. John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to the people the next day, and you may know the account of John 6, but what transpires there is the people come back to Jesus the next day seeking him out, and he says, well, I know why you're here. You may not admit it, but you're here because you ate and were satisfied, and you want to eat again. And in fact, John even goes on to tell us that they were attempting to force Jesus to become their king because they thought, hey, here's a king who can produce bread whenever we need it and keep us fed. And so that's the kind of king we should have, which flies in the face of all of those who would try to say Jesus didn't really perform a miracle. He just made the people feel guilty because they were hoarding their lunches and dinners. And when he started to feed this little boy's food out, everybody broke out their lunches and started to share. Well, they wouldn't have forced him to be king if he just had caused them to share. They wanted to force him to be king because he literally produced a mass amount of food out of a small amount of food to start with. But John records Jesus' message to them. He says, what you really need, ultimately, is the spiritual. He says to them, I am the bread of life, which suggests there isn't another bread of life. There isn't another sustenance besides Jesus that gives life, even though even in our culture, we find all kinds of options that supposedly give life and give success and make us important in the eyes of others. But Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The message that Jesus wanted to convey to them was, I am the sustenance that you need. I am the feed for my sheep that my sheep need. And when my sheep feed on me, they have eternal life. They don't just have another day's food or another meal's food. They have what they need forevermore. Because when the last day comes, the last day means just that. It's the last day. There is no other option after that. That's the end of the choices. That's the end of the days. And you're either sustained by Jesus for the duration of the last day, which obviously is forever, or you're not. And that's the message Jesus is conveying is that I'm the one. I'm the sustenance. I am what you need. And there is no other. So when we tend to want to say, well, I like this, but I don't like that. Or I want to hear this, but I don't want to hear that. Or I want to be this, but I don't want to be that. Or I want to help somebody, but I don't really want to help them because it's not convenient. What did Jesus do? In the midst of this encounter with these people, it wasn't convenient. Him and his disciples were seeking rest. But he gave opportunity for rest for this massive crowd of people and taught them many things and fed them and demonstrated that he was who he said he was. Now, not all of them believed, as we note here in John is his account. Many of the people were just seeking more food. But the ones who did believe and the ones who did find sustenance in Jesus will be with us in eternity, those of us who are seeking our sustenance in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Because the last day is coming. We don't know when. Because if we did, we'd wait till the night before to get ready. Uh, but he doesn't tell us. And Jesus even told his own disciples. They said, hey, when's it going to happen? He says, I'm not going to tell you because the Father knows I don't. Because he knew. They would procrastinate. And maybe some of you are procrastinating. Maybe the last day doesn't mean anything to you. But the last day is a forever day. And you're forever with him or you're forever without him. And that's what we need to recognize in Jesus' ability he can supply our daily physical needs, and he's promised to do that. So whether our government sustains itself or falls apart, whether the economy is good or bad, Jesus will sustain us because he promised to. But there's more than that. 
we, this life is not all there is. The days that we live here are fleeting. And as I get older, I recognize that more. Uh, you know, I used to snicker when people around me when I was a kid would talk about, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And now I don't snicker anymore because I kind of wished I were there, <laughs> but I'm not. But the, the issue is our sustenance, our life is needing to be in Christ. There is not another philosophical or religious choice. Jesus is the one. And whoever looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day. Lord, bless us all that will be there with him on the last day. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for these marvelous truths about the Lord Jesus Christ and his life here on earth. The things that he did to encourage and help and heal and supply physical needs. But more than that, he gave his own perfect life for us to take away our sinful, selfish lives and to replace it with his perfection to ensure that our last day with him will be a glorious day of no end beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding of what blessing really is. We thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love for us, your great love in sending your son who took our place. Thank you for providing the place for us that we have yet to look forward to. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.